Okay, Boker Tov, we're in the Gemara Moed Kut and Yud Gimel Amad Aleph. We had the Shaila. If a person worked on Cholamoid when he wasn't supposed to work on Cholamoid, do we, and then he dies, do we punish the children and that they don't benefit from it or not? And we said the two sides of the point was who is being punished exactly? Is it the person who violated Cholamoid or is the money being uh, punished? So that makes a difference if the children suffer the financial loss or not. That was the question. So Gamora says, Tanitua, we already learned this law in a Mishnah in Mesachashvis. Now we know there's certain activities you're not allowed to do on a field in Shemitah, certain one you can. And the main idea is you can't directly improve the quality of the land. Uh, specifically for you know replanting purposes. So now we're going to discuss certain questionable behaviors that are or not permitted. And if they're not permitted, and you did them on Shemitah year, it could be that you were not allowed to benefit the following year. And then what happens if the person, the owner of the field died? Now what happens to the children who take over the field? So, Soda Sheniskaf Tzobeshviz a field that was cleared of thorns during the Shemitah year. Now, thorns is not a direct improvement on the earth itself because the thorns are like on top of the earth. It's like a pre-pre-preparation. So if you do that, Tizra you may plant that field the post-Shemitah year. Okay, now, it's interesting, uh, uprooting thorns from one's field is included in the prohibition during Shemitah. However, in the case where the thorns were already detached from the ground, and that's what we're talking about, the two types of thorns. Thorns that are connected to the ground, pulling them out, and the ones that are just sitting on the ground and just clearing them out. So the case, the second case, their removal is prohibited by rabbinic law only. Now, although the act of clearing did violate rabbinic law, it's not regarded as an important agricultural task since it brings about no improvement in the ground itself. Therefore, the rabbis did not penalize the field's owner by prohibiting him to sow his field in the following year. It wasn't an actual improvement of the earth itself. Rabbinically, they said you shouldn't do it because you may come on to do worse. But therefore, it's only rabbinically prohibited. You didn't actually repair the land per se. So therefore, you can benefit from the land afterwards. Okay. Now, the next two, though, you can't. Nitaiva o nidaira. But if it was improved through heavy fertilization, or if you move the pens, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, and they fertilize it, so either you're bringing it in wagon loads or you're moving the pens. Either way, you're fertilized. Now, that's a direct improvement on the land. Lo tisra You cannot plant the land Because even though this is also rabbinic, why is there a penalty? Because your mom is improving the ground itself. It's a big difference removing thorns that were sitting on top of the earth 
and putting fertilizer on top and the nutrients are going right into the land. For that, you mamish improve the lands. So the rabbi said it's prohibited and you can't enjoy that. You can't use that part of the field the year after Shemitah. Can't use after Shemitah. Fine, that was a Mishnah. Comes along for Amr of Yossi Bar Hanina. Yossi Hanina said about this. Naktinan, we hold as a tradition the following halacha regarding this is Hetiva Umes. What if he improved the field by fertilizing and then he dies? Beno Zor, his son may sow it in the year after the Shemitah. What do we see from that? Amma, we see Lididei Konsurabonan, the rabbis punished the violator. But they did not establish the penalty against the son. So that seems to be approved from that statement. And therefore, Hachinami here too, regarding Chol HaMoed, will say the same thing. The rabbis punished the violator. But not against the children. Okay. Well, that's a good question. It's a good question. Maybe the rabbis wouldn't allow you to do that. You probably couldn't even. They probably wouldn't allow him to sell it because he'd be benefiting. It would be a field. Right, that he he's directly selling it, so he is getting a field. He's going to get a price better because of that. He could sell it, but I but but they won't allow anyone to use it for the next year. It's only one year. The buyer won't be allowed to use it. That's right. In other words, it's a field that this guy who owns it and is alive. If he sells it, it goes in with a like a lien (laughs) that you can't use it for that year. The guy's alive, so now obviously he's selling it. He's going to get a profit. If I'm selling you a field that I can work on this coming year versus one I can't work on for the first year, you're going to have a lower price. So yeah, go sell it. Going to sell it to your sons? Fine, but they can't use it anyway for the year. It's only one year. After the second year, he yeah, could use it. So rabbis, I'm sure, would not allow people to get around that. You know, okay, if he faked a suicide, you know, I don't know. But uh, that's that issue. Now, now we come on to a another issue where a person does a certain type of damage. And does the children have to pay for this? Related, but not exact. Oh, and then they bring another proof, a second proof. Amar Abaye, Naktinan, we also hold as a tradition. Time taro sav umes. Let's say, let's say you have a Kohen who has truma. Kohen has truma. And he's supposed to eat it. So another guy intentionally went and made his truma tame. 
whatever, he's upset at the coin, whatever. He made, made a tummy. Okay, now the question one is, does he have to reimburse the coin? It's question number one. Question number two, if he does and he dies, do the children have to reimburse the coin instead of in the place of the father? Now what's the issue over here? Why is this different than anything else? When, you, when you're matame something, we get to a new category of damage, which is called hezek she'eno nikar, which means it's a non-recognizable damage. For example, if I take your field and I burn your field up, it's very recognizable, I made your damage your field. If I just take my tummy hands and just touch the whole field, the field looks exactly the same. So it's a machlokes if a hezek she'eno nikr is considered a hezek or not. Even on the one hand, what do you mean? The coin can't use it. Yeah, it doesn't look like, but I didn't do anything you could see. In other words, where does the halacha go? Anyway, that's a big issue about hezek she'eno nikr. So here's a case where he says, this is the rule. If a guy went and made, made somebody else's crops tummy and then he dies, lo kun achrov. They do not penalize the surviving children to pay the damage. Okay, that's everything I said. Okay. By biblical law, one is not obligated to pay for this sort of damage. Biblical law, as the Gemara will explain shortly. The rabbis are penalized one who renders such damage by requiring him to pay for it. So it's a rabbinic punishment. For the wish to discourage one, becomes angry from going and contaminating the Torah food of his fellow. So biblically, it's, it's okay, but rabbinically not. So by testifies that if you contaminated it, the son is not liable to pay for the uh, damage. My time, and what's the reason? Because Hezek she'en anikr, lo shmei Hezek. Because from the biblical standpoint, if you can't recognize the damage, it's not considered damage, and therefore you're only chayiv rabbinically. Okay, and therefore when the rabbis imposed the punishment, remember it's a rabbinically imposed, these are all rabbinically imposed punishments. So it's, so who do they impose it upon? Lididei konsurabon, and the rabbis imposed it upon the violator, lebrei lo konsurabon, the child they didn't do it. So we have two cases where we punish the father and not the child, so we applied that to chol hamoi. So therefore, we don't, and that's the way we paskin. We don't punish the children for what the parents do over that. Okay. Huh? When it's rabbinical. Yeah. Whatever. For yeah. reason, we don't punish it. Yeah. But if, if you damage, because it's steal. it's who did the rabbis punish? Yeah. Now, if if there's certain things, damages that carry over, if it's biblical, the heirs inherit that. But when the rabbis are levying their own fines so what's in their minds to make the how are they going to discourage how far are they going to discourage so discourage the guy who did it and not the money per se okay moving on to the next Mishnah that's going to touch on we haven't really discussed it a lot but this is going to touch on if a person doesn't have money to eat food on Cholamoid what is permitted to be done? How far does this go? Okay, and it goes two ways. Obviously, if a person has no 
money, he can do what he needs to do to make money. But are you, if you have what to eat, are you allowed to give business to a guy who doesn't have what to eat? Because then that's hiring out a guy, but I don't have to hire him. I have what to eat. That becomes, now, you're going to say, well, what do you want to do? Starve? No, there's something called stalker. Ever heard of that? So, in other words, it's chol So, the guy who doesn't have food, okay, he has to put food on the table. So, I guess he could choose to not be embarrassed and whatever, uh, work for somebody or do a certain job and get paid for the certain job. Okay, but on the other hand, can I hire someone to work for me if I don't particularly need it, but the guy needs to work? Just to do a mitzvah for him to have what to eat. Yes, but, so we're gonna discuss that. And you're gonna say, well, why not? Of course, yes. The answer is, well, just give him some tzedakah. Okay, so that, that's the general idea of what's going on over here. So we have to understand and there's a lot of things you may do to get money. Not only does it mean to work, what if you sell something that will give you money? Buying and selling so is the, one doesn't have to, the guy doesn't have food. So what does he want to do? To I'm going to take my gold earrings and, and sell, sell it. it. Yeah. Now I got money. Now you're not supposed to do business at Cholomoid either. But the guy doesn't have any food to eat. There's a second question that I don't know if our scroll is going to deal with. What does it mean you don't have food to eat? Now, there's a lot of ways of defining that. Does it mean Mother Hubbard and the cupboards are bare? There's mamish zero to eat, like not even wheat, not even bread and butter. Now, that for sure, we say the leniency applies there. But what if I got bread and butter and uh, cream of wheat? but I don't got any chicken for chalamoid, right? So a lot of opinions say, well, you're supposed to enjoy chalamoid and just bread and butter isn't gonna cut it. So there's a machlokas there. So some say, no, it goes even to have like a normal meal, which makes sense because after all it's chalamoid and you wanna have simcha, I can have simcha on bread and butter. Okay, so these are uh, general issues over here. Now we go to what the Mishnah says, and the big machlokas in that's going to come out is how do we understand the last clause of this Mishnah? Okay, the Mishnah says like this: Ain lokim batim avadim ubehema. Generally, on Cholamoid, regular scenario, we cannot buy a house, a slave, or a Canaanite slave, or an animal on Cholamoid. General, forget about. You cannot do it. That's business. We don't do business on Cholamoid. You have to do the business before Cholamoid, after Cholamoid. We don't do business. With the following exceptions. Ella, except Litzorech If there's a festival need, okay, let's say you have nowhere to live on the festival, right? Whatever. The, uh, your house burned down. Flooded. Uh, it, this was in uh, New York. In the five towns, you know, my, it was interesting. You know, it happened at the end. At the end, the rain in Lakewood that we're talking about, it stopped mamish that night. So people were able to get into a drippy sukkah. But in other areas, like in the five towns, the houses were flooded, you know. And uh, my son, Baruch, who was driving like a, a couple hours before Yontif, 
He's trying to drive through the street. It was flooded out. He tried to get his car through, his, his Schwerer's car through. Get his Schwerer's car through. It got through, and then boom, the engine died. Anyway, so that could be a good reason why you've got to rent a, a house on Cholomite. It would be a classic. Your house is flooded. So it can let's I guess you could still live in the house. But anyway, but that's a case that could happen. So you you you'd need to um a place to live. So that's Sir Hamoid. Okay. Now, or let's say you need to uh buy an animal because you need to eat. That's a Sir Hamoid. You wanna have fresh for whatever reason, you weren't able to buy one. Alright? You could rent a house, you could buy a house, you can rent a servant. What if your Canaanite slave ran away right before Anyantav? So now you need someone to do the work in the house. Okay. Now, interesting, the fact that the Mishnah singles out these three items implies it's permissible to buy and sell other things even if they're not needed for the festival. However, Tosa explained that this is, in fact, not the case. Rats for in to buy and sell any sort of article of Cholomoyed. The reason the Mishnah mentions Easter in particular is because the buying and selling of these things is generally public knowledge, which we don't like to do things in public, remember, because other people will think you could do it and, and, he, and they have. Nevertheless, it's permissible in the event of the festival need. Okay, then there's a whole other discussion. I don't want to go, as far as the halacha is concerned, we pass them like Tosfas. Okay, okay. So, uh, again... So the Ramah Paskins is forbidden to purchase anything at all in Cholomite except for items needed for the festival. However, if a Cholomite one is presented with a commercial opportunity that will not be available after the festival, he may take it, and this is regards preventing loss, which is permissible. Okay. Who that? A rabbi. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, it's a huge thing. Like, you can make a million dollars on this. Yeah. Because remember, it's... Business isn't the same as working like as a blacksmith. Yeah. It's, it's just switch, switching money, signing, just signing a paper. So that's not the same level of work. In general, we don't do it. Okay. But anyway, so that's been Tzorach Now, so Tzorach means a Yom Tif need. Here's where, now that should be enough. Right there, it should be the end of the Mishnah. But the Mishnah adds one more clause, and this is going to be the debatable point. So, what what would be included in a, in a festival need? Right now, tell, okay, what's the festival need? An animal. Festival need. What's the festival need? Food. Food, right? Okay. So now, explain this clause. Or it's allowed, or for the needs of the seller who does not have anything to eat. So, isn't that a tzorah hamoed? Isn't that a festival need? So if the seller needs money to buy food for the festival, one may purchase these articles from him, even if they will not be used on the festival. So the buyer can can buy from the seller because the seller has a festival need. Now, the mission does not mean that the seller lacks even the bare necessities of life. Rather, discusses one who has sufficient food for the festival but is unable to spend lavishly or to afford special delicacies in honor of the festival. So for that, is allowed? We're permitted to make this unnecessary person homemade so he will have foods to enjoy the festival to its fun, fullest. Fun, 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 fun. All right. 
What? Funds. 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 Okay. So so now, so it comes out, we can't buy things unless it's for my need or it's for the seller's need. I don't need it. I have everything I can want, but the seller doesn't have. That seems to be the new point. So now, Gomorrah asks the Shaila Boimine Rovamirav Nachman. Rova asks the Shaila from Nachman. So, so far we talked about buying and selling. How about hiring a guy out as a worker? For what purpose? Oh, let's see. What about wages for work in the case of one who does not have anything to eat? Oh, for them, okay. yeah. The Mishnah was speaking about selling, buying items. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can buy from someone who doesn't have what to eat. But again, that's not a major deal. It's just an exchange of cash for something. Here it's, can I hire a worker to work on Holomoy? Says, but I don't really need, need the, guy. the guy to work. I can do the work afterwards. Yeah. Why not give him the money? Yeah. Okay, that, so that's true. Mao, what's the law? Is it permissible to hire a laborer to do non-professional need uh, work on Holomoy? For the sole purpose of enabling him to purchase food right. for the festival. Gamora is wondering whether a worker is different than a seller in this respect. Yes. A reason to differentiate is that the prohibition against selling on Cholamite is less stringent than that against working, since selling does not involve the performance of malacha. Therefore, this prohibition is more easily waived. Working on Cholamite, by contrast, involves the performance of malacha. Accordingly, its prohibition is more stringent and is perhaps not as easily waived. That is the question here. The Mishnah seemed to only allow buying and selling items. But how about hiring the worker? So he's going to say, well, that's exactly what the Mishnah said. Amalei, so he answered him, Rav Nachman answered him, Tanina, didn't we, isn't that what the Mishnah said? The Mishnah said, you can buy these things for a yontif need, buying these things, or if the seller doesn't have any food. Or to provide for the needs of the seller, that doesn't have what to eat. Okay? So, interesting. So, what did this extra clause come for? Remember we said you can't buy things except for a yontif need or if the seller needs to, doesn't have what to eat. So that seems to be repetitive. So why the phrase who does not have anything to eat? What does that come to include? Doesn't it mean isn't it coming to include working okay the phrase for the needs of the seller implies festival needs why then must the Mishnah mention these needs explicitly by saying that he has nothing to eat evidently comes to include the case of a worker who has nothing to eat that's how he would learn that Moore says not a proof Omerle says no why you say it's an extra clause to include something else Maybe what it's doing is the second clause is explaining the first clause. 
Lo, maybe it's Perusha Kamafarish. The latter phrase, he has nothing to eat, is explaining the earlier phrase. It says, when the Mishnah says, for the needs of the festival, what does it mean the festival needs? Is that he doesn't have anything to eat. It's not meant to teach the permissible of hiring a needy worker. So is it an extra clause or just a clause that's explaining the previous clause? What is a tzarech moed? Tzarech moed is he doesn't have what to eat. And that's only said regarding selling items and not hiring him out as a worker. If it's an extra clause, you can say, well, what's the extra clause coming for? To say he can hire himself out as a worker. But if it's not an extra clause and it's just explaining it, then you don't have an extra clause to learn that. So therefore, no um, proof from that. So basically, we're going to have a machlokes, Rava and Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman is saying it is a proof from the Mishnah, and Rav is saying it's not a proof from the Mishnah. And therefore, he says it's still a Shiloh. So now, the balance of the Gemara is going to try to find a proof one way or the other. So now, Abaye comes along and challenges Rava, who said there's no proof. Okay? Some say it says Tashma, whatever. Uh, because really, Rava didn't make a statement to be challenged. He questions Rav Nachman's proof. Rav Nachman said, I have a proof from the Mishnah. Rava says, it's no proof. So now it comes along a buy and asks, well, let's take a look at another case. All right, says the following. We can't write loan documents on Chol Hamoid. A guy is borrowing money. Now, borrowing money can definitely happen on Chol Hamoid. guy needs money. Okay? That's a Tzorech Moed. All right? But the question is, can you write the loan document? Well, why can't you write the loan document? Well, you're not allowed to write on Chol Hamoid. Too bad. Okay, what's going to be your problem with that halacha? Without saying anything else, what's the problem with that halacha? If you don't write a loan document, how are you going to get paid back? What's your proof? But can you wait till after Paul The guy needs the money now. Well, can you get the money during Paul If you need it, yeah. yeah. You can borrow money yeah, on Paul You need money. money. You need money to go to the store and buy. So you want to borrow money. Well, then there's no reason why you should be able to write a document. Right? To or not. So it says you don't write it. What's the problem with this? You may not get your money back. You're not going to get your money back. Where's your proof? What money? Where's your proof? Would you lend somebody money? Well, with witnesses. Well, it depends who it is. Oh, so not. You can check your security. Depends who it is. Okay, yeah. Okay, but anyway, let, let, but, but can you write the loan document? You can't write it. However, but if the lender does not trust the borrower, case one, or or if he doesn't have anything to eat, okay, he needs the money for the festival, to honor the festival lavishly, he doesn't have to... He does not have to be, however, in the category of one who has nothing to eat, as we said before. Right. Imagine the guy doesn't have what to eat. So, then so, so that, and the guy's, but, so since why he says both scenarios, why don't we just say he doesn't believe him? He can write the document because I don't trust him. Now, what's, well, again, what are we adding the second clause for? Or he doesn't have what to eat. 
where he doesn't have what to eat. Why is he borrowing money to begin with? Right? So again, it's a repetitive clause. Was, yeah. The first time we tried to do that, they said, no, this was just explaining the second line. Right? The first line. Here, it seems kind of different. I don't believe him. That makes a lot of sense. But if he doesn't have what to eat, so what's going on over there? So now, more analyze. What's that phrase? He doesn't have what to eat coming to include. Because now he can't be referring to the borrower and saying that he's permitted to write the document only if he's one doesn't have anything to eat because with with which the phrase is prefaced, it's, it's a separate teaching. So if it's a separate teaching, to whom then does this phrase refer? It's a separate teaching. Lav, isn't this including now for to, to what? A, a separate clause to pay a guy to work if he doesn't have what to eat. In other words, we're saying you don't write a shtar chav unless you don't believe him. Stop. Full period. Now, or if you don't have what to eat, what does that mean? It has nothing to do with anything. It's obviously the guy's borrowing because he doesn't have what to eat. Right. So what are we saying? No, it's the the case. If he doesn't have what to eat, can you hire him out as a worker? That's an extra clause. Okay? Seemingly it does, right? In other words, if the scribe lacks food, ah, who lacks the food? The scribe lacks the food. We may employ him to write a loan document, even though the only reason to do so is his need. Ah, so you're hiring him out as a worker. Ah, so that's what the case must be. Misha says, Indeed, there's a proof from that because you can hire him out to work. So that seems to be one proof. Okay, we're not finished with the sugya, but good place to stop over here. Okay, we'll resume next Monday. Monday? Yeah. Yeah. Next Monday. Yeah. Now, I'm telling you now, for you guys to go to Second Minion, tomorrow's going to be 7.30. Oh, yeah. And 